Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Hello, 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 Big Ed Idea listeners. It is Ryan, and I am back with episode 35. Um, This evening, you are surely in for a treat. Um, I'll tell you, I have been, uh, we're starting a little bit late. Normally, we start like right on time recording, but um, me and tonight's guest have been shooting these stuff, and uh, we have quite a bit in common, so I'm super excited about this episode. I'm super excited to to hear where it goes and uh, the topic and the idea that this dude is bringing to our table. So um, if you clicked in, if this is your first episode, listen, you're in for a really, really good one. Um, Tonight, I have got my good friend, um, David Frangiosa from the beautiful state of New Jersey. Um, Actually, he is the second guest that I have had from New Jersey. Um, early in this whole journey, I had my good friend, uh, Maria. Um, let's see, it's, I think it's Montrose Karai. Um, she is a administrator in New Jersey. But yeah, so I'm bringing a little bit of uh, New Jersey feel to this uh, podcast journey. So I'm super excited to have David tonight. Um, first and foremost, he is a dad and a husband. He is a high school science teacher. He's told me he's taught a little bit of everything, which makes a really good science teacher. Um, He has researched grade reform since 2015, um, which I'll I'll be very honest, that is something I feel is greatly needed. Um, He is an ed presenter, and he is a co-author of Going Gradeless, um, and just learned he's going to be presenting at the National Association of Middle School Educators Conference in beautiful beautiful louisville kentucky which is two hours for me so i might have to make that trip uh david thank you very much for joining us hey thanks for having me and you are one of the few people that calls new jersey beautiful (laughs) well i'll tell you um maybe that's from ignorance because um honestly like the only thing i know about new jersey is um bruce springsteen um and i i love bruce springsteen i listened to his podcast with barack obama which was freaking awesome. Um, and other than that, like, uh, I think I read a book one time where they're like, the character was from New Jersey and it was really good. So. See, yeah. all, all of us from here, we love it. And I do think it is beautiful, but you know, people fly into Newark and make assumptions. Sure. Sure. I, I listen, I'm from Kentucky. There are all kinds of, um, what, what's, what am I looking for? There are all kinds of, uh, bad thoughts or uh, misconceptions about Kentuckians. Um, Not all of us Mm -hmm. walk around barefoot and pregnant all the time. Um, We might every once in a while, but that is uh, neither here nor there. But uh, Dave, are you ready to get this thing on the road? Let's go. All right, man. So um, first off, thank you, because I know you've listened to one or two of my episodes. So you know kind of how we're going to roll. We're going to start tonight with that two for two segment which uh, for those listeners, it is my attempt to model something that I very, 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 very strongly feel. And that is you got to connect before you can get into that content. So first, Dave, I've got a couple questions for you. All right. 
All right, man. So uh, do you prefer to cook or take out? Oh, I love cooking. You know, okay. that's um, I, I was raised in an Italian home. I cooked in my grandfather's basement with him since the time I was five years old. So okay. I love cooking um, inside, outside, grill, smoker, you know, you name it. I love doing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I, uh, I do most of the cooking at our house. Not that my wife can't, um, but we have this really cool deal worked out where I get to leave the house super early so I can get a workout. She takes the kids to school and that means I pick them up so she can work out and then I come, I come home and cook. So yeah, I love cook. Like, uh, there's not much better than turning on my Alexa, turning on some music, pouring myself a glass of red and cooking it up. Awesome, man. <laughs> All right, man. What is your favorite type of movie? Like genre, I guess. Um, well, you know, I, I have to stay away from a lot of the sci-fi because as a science teacher, the science <laughs> is kind of terrible. So I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with action movies. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just something to be entertained okay. when I'm watching a movie. I, you know, I, I just want to be entertained and kind of turn my brain off. I get that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably, you know, as a science teacher being pretty smart watching these science movies where like the science is not there. Yeah. I could see how that'd be a bad thing. Yeah, my wife laughs at me all the time. She says I ruin the movies for her. Yeah. <laughs> my wife laughs at me all the time too. But yeah, okay. So Dave, what uh, <laughs> what questions do you have for me? All right. So um, it, it's very clear that you are committed to fitness. Sure. So what drove you to get that bug? Who? So okay. So. Um, the and, and this is 100 true so i've talked about this a little before um about my happy accident i became a dad when i was 22 when i was definitely not ready um she you know i used to call her my the best mistake i ever made and one of my high schoolers at at the high school <laughs> aptly told me mr scott that is that is a horrible way to say it she was a happy accident <laughs> so now I, that's what i say but when I found out I was going to be a dad, my hair was to my shoulders. Um, I had a full beard. Um, I was not living life the way I should have lived, um, making lots of mistakes. I was just an idiot all the way around. And so when I found out she was going to be coming, literally, I went out into my garage, shaved my head the way I look now, um, and signed up at the Y. And I think I've been a member of the Y for like 18 years now. So, you know, one of the things I try to preach and I live by is that 1% um, daily from if anybody out there has never read the atomic habits, that is a phenomenal book that will change your mindset. Um, but, you know, looking at fitness um, as a uh, marathon and not a sprint. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been 18 years. I love it. It has kept me clean and took me away from stuff that I was doing. And um, yeah, I love it. That's awesome. So Marin actually stole my second question. Oh, Marin. <laughs> so yeah, but so now I know your favorite food is pad thai. That's right. But um, so how about that? We'll go a different way. You know, being that you are committed to fitness, what is your guilty pleasure meal? Hmm. So, um, 
100% vulnerable here. Like I love um, bourbon. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, like I'm a bourbon dude. I live in Kentucky. Um, you know, we've got some amazing bourbons. And so, you know, I have probably a glass a night, um, which the month of July, I've set a goal to not have anything to drink Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Um, trying to get away from that a little bit, but yeah, like that's my guilty pleasure. Um, I think it just chills me out. I mean, I, honestly, I like the taste of bourbon on ice. Um, I'm not a sweets guy. I never have really been, I don't drink Cokes. Um, but a good bourbon. Yeah, I will do. Absolutely. All right. That all you got? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Um, no, that sounds good. So now that I know um, you are a cook, now that I know that you um, more you like the action movies, um, are you so are you like a like a Chuck Norris or a Van Damme? Let's see, I'm 40, so that people listening probably don't even know who those people are. Um, I got you by a few years. I know who they are. Okay, 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 good. Okay. Um, so my friend Dave, let's let's jump into this whole education space. I mean, that's the name of the game. Um, hopefully that's why the folks on the other end of this podcast clicked on. So what I always like to find out, um, is how education found you. Yeah. So that's, um, I, I went alternate route. I was yeah. not going to be an educator. So right. I actually, I was a chiropractor before I went into teaching. No way. Yeah, I did that. I had my own practice for wow. four and a half years. Um, I hated dealing with insurance companies. I just like, I, I wasn't happy and I had an opportunity to, um, to leave the profession and work in biotech, but I had to go back to school to get an MBA. And so I said, all right, well, I can't do the practice and get an MBA. So I had my teaching cert, um, just kind of like in the back pocket, just in case, um, I said, I'll do that for two years while I'm going to get this MBA and then, you know, I'll take right. this other job. Right. right. Um, and the program was supposed to start in January. Um, I started teaching by November. I really love teaching and actually never started the program. That's cool. And uh, it's 15 years later and I'm still doing it. Dude, that is really, that's a really cool, um, because I would, I would venture to say you probably took a bit of a pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I took, uh, I took a little bit of a pay cut. I blew through my entire savings, um, you know, uh, in the first, first couple of years, but, um, you know, I was very fortunate that, um, I work in Northern New Jersey where teachers are compensated well. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not the case, um, across the rest of the nation, but, right. um, where I am, um, and especially being a science teacher, I had opportunities that not many other teachers have. So I'm in my third district now. And in each district that I went to, I got significant pay raises. Sweet. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, are you glad you did it? I love every minute of it. Right. What's your favorite part? Uh, you know, oh, the, I know that's the, a hard question. Yeah. I, I think my favorite part is when I connect with a student that you say can't do it. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. You know, and like th- those success stories, when, when you see a student that everybody's written off and they're thriving in your room for me, that's why I get up every day. <laughs> Man, I tell you that you're exactly right. That's what gets me to school every day. Uh, that's what gets me excited. Um, you know, when we had our graduation ceremony this year, there were a couple kids, one in particular that, um, graduated by the skin of her teeth and during you know during the graduation ceremony as i'm calling her name she walked up to the podium gave me a hug and yeah that's what it's all about man that is what it's all about so bravo oh thank you yeah yeah so um all right so you know the whole name of this game is the big ed idea podcast um i started this to give a voice to everybody out there that has ideas Um, because, you know, as we talked prior to recording, sometimes our ideas, especially if it's an idea that changes the name of the game or, or flips the script or is outside of the box, sometimes it's not looked at, um, the way it should be for lack of a better word. So I wanted to make sure that I had folks on here that had an idea that they thought could change the world of or through education. And so, before we can talk about the idea, I got to know, what is that problem with education that you see? Well, that's another loaded question. Um, you know, <laughs> so so um, it, it's multifaceted, but it all comes back to the same thing. So the problem is we compartmentalize education and we try to put out fires, right? So we look at every problem that we have in education as something that is uniquely different and needs a different approach in order to do, you know, whatever, move that conversation forward. Um, You know, whether we're talking about social emotional learning or equitable practices or achievement and, you know, we kind of divide them up into boxes and we attack each one. And, you know, if, if we're focusing on achievement, well, then we're ignoring social emotional learning and, you know, our approach to equitable practices goes out the window. And, um, you know, you're kind of sacrificing those relationships and the whole student just to get a number and a score. Yeah. Um, you know, and so over the course of my career, like, you know, I was raised in a traditional grading model. Um, you know, that, that was my entire education. Um, I was alternate route, so I had no formal, um, education training like I kind of learned on the job which might have been a good thing I think it was because I didn't have like you know I had no clue what a rubric was I hadn't like you know I'd never seen it in my education first time I was introduced to it was um, when I was teaching sure Um, you know so a lot of these things that they were saying teachers should do I was 10 years (laughs) removed from school when I actually taught but like you know I I took a test, I passed the test and they said, Hey, here's your class. Right. Um, you know, and now you have to take classes to learn how to teach as you're teaching your class. So it was trial by fire. Um, and like, you know, I, I wasn't a good teacher, but like, you know, those relationships were key. Uh, and I realized that really early on. And so it was for me all about developing those relationships, um, you know, imparting skills onto students that they could transfer to other classes. And, you know, I would take even that first year when I was a terrible teacher, I would actually take, you know, a week out of class and, 
you know, talk about organization, talk about time management, talk about all those things that on the surface seem like they have nothing to do with science, but without those, you can't be successful. And so like, you know, I, I was seeing that, you know, students, there, there were these structures in place that acted as obstacles for students to achieve. And, um, each time I got frustrated, I moved to a different school and I saw the same problem. And so at my third school, I was like, it can't be the kids. Part of it's me, part of it's the system. Right. And, you know, I, I changed all the things about me or, you know, I began to change all of the things about me that I identified as being problematic. Um, and you know, I still work on those. I'm not perfect, but, um, you know, when I got to that third school, I was just like, all right, you know what, like I'm working on me and I'm still not seeing any different results. Like these structures need to go. And so that, that's how I identified the problem that we're about to talk about. Right. No, I, I, I get it. Um, yeah, I just got done reading, uh, and I don't know the author, but it's called the systems thinker. Um, and it's all about looking at issues from a systemic, um, kind of like you're saying, like, it's not a, education is not a, like a linear, it's not like, kind of like you said, you can't, to be truly effective, we got to stop just focusing on one of those aspects and understanding that it's all inter, interrelated, that that if we wanted the achievement, then we got to also focus on the social and emotional, we got to focus on the equity, it's all interconnected. So I'm super excited to hear, because I know this isn't your only idea, I can tell. Um, <laughs> but what is the idea that you want to talk about tonight? And seriously, we can have you back on for another idea. Sure. Well, so um, the idea is get rid of traditional grading, right? That That's the big idea. And I know I'm not the first to say it. I know this conversation has been going on for at least half a century. Um, you know, in, in the book, like we reference like that research, we reference, um, you know, Ruth Butler, who talks about feedback and um, the impact that certain types of feedback have on students. And, you know, um, through researching for this book, you know, um, people like Ken Shelton and um, Sheldon Akins and, um, you know, Josue Falez, um, you know, Cornelius Minor, like reading their work and just hearing them speak and, and getting um, more educated on equity and, and how um, grading practices influence, um, you know, the opportunity of students and like, uh, you know, uh, oh, Carla Shalaby and Troublemakers, like that, that book was eye-opening for me. And just like all of the things that we value, like we're, we're so focused on that achievement and solely that achievement that, you know, we have this compliance-based system that tries to guide everybody to what we deem as successful. Right. And if we can flip that script and get away from those traditional grading practices to where we can say, okay, here's where you are as a student. Here are the things that you do well. Here are your areas of opportunity. And here are the steps that we're going to take in order to build those skills and expand them and make you, you know, a, a more complete student so that you'll be successful going forward. And it's not about 
you need this for my content. You need this because I say so. You know, here are the things <laughs> that you're going to need to be successful. And here's what I can Life. do to help you get there. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So if, there, if there's anybody out there um, that might not be from the education realm, what, so when you talk about traditional grading practices, explain that. What do you mean by traditional grading? So when we talk about traditional grading practices, um, typically you get an assignment, you do the assignment, the teacher judges how well you did that assignment and assigns either it's a, a number like, you know, eight out of 10 or a percentage or a grade, A, B, okay. C, D, E, you know, whatever. Um, so, um, you know, that's traditional grading. Right. And that's what pretty much everybody that you talk to oh, yeah, has experienced, yeah. you know, parents, students, grandparents, um, great grandparents. Exactly. And so the, the challenge is they think that communicates what a student's doing when in actuality, it all it communicates is how I judge that student to be doing right on the criteria that I right. set. Right. No, that's very true. Um, and a lot of the time it judges if you're, if, if teachers aren't careful, it judges which kids turned in their homework more so than do they so know the content. It, exactly. And when you talk about traditional grading, um, you have things like extra credit, you have homework, you have, right. So, you know, there are these structures in place and um, you know, it's usually content driven. Yeah. Um, and I work in an affluent district and, you know, we have students that can afford tutors. So are you assessing the socioeconomic, you know, privileges of, you know, can this student afford a tutor who's going to drill them and give them the tips, you know, so that they can actually ace the test and do they really know it? And, you know, with traditional grading, we don't ever revisit that right. content. Right. They take the test. We move on. We don't go back. Right. Right. You know, maybe they see it on the midterm or the final, but other than that, you know, it, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, so I'm not a, I'm definitely not a, everybody should go to college type person. I'm not at all. But if you look at just the number of kids that are having to take remedial courses when they get to clap, get to colleges, to me, it's pretty stinking obvious that whatever is being done, um, whatever is the norm, I guess would say, in our secondary system, there's something that's wrong. If that many number of kids are having to take those remedial courses, um, I'm sure you probably read this, but if, if nobody out there has read it, take a look at the opportunity myth. If you've never read that study that was taken out, um, yeah, that's great. But yes, I completely agree with what you're saying. Well, and, and the other challenge that traditional grading raises is we're always getting students ready for the next thing. That becomes our default excuse, right? Um, you know, elementary students are, elementary teachers are preparing students for middle school. Middle school teachers are preparing um, students for high school. High school is preparing students for college and the workforce. And in none of those statements are we talking about actually students learning. Yeah. We're preparing, they're not learning. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, this is what you're going to need. Well, I don't agree with that. We don't know what they're going to need. Yeah. 
you know, and when you approach everything with that broad brush, like not every kid needs to do the same homework. Not every kid has the same challenge with, you know, maybe one's great at problem solving and has trouble creating explanations. And another one is amazing at creating explanations and has a little trouble with problem solving. So, you know, you're not, you're not benefiting those students. Right. 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 Um, And that's been the traditional model that, you know, and um, when we look at those scores and, you know, we have the standardized testing, we have the grades, we have, you know, you, you compare district to district, student to student. And when they're not achieving the way that somebody who's never met this student deems them to need to reach, right. They counteract that with more compliance, which further strips them of opportunities to actually learn and fill those gaps that they need. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if traditional grading um, is kind of a hindrance, um, what is your, you know, what's your idea for how we can counter that? So get rid of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I, I know that sounds like too simple to actually work, but it works. And when I say get rid of grades, a lot of people misinterpret that as well, no grades, no accountability, right? No grades, no communication. No, it's just, we're getting rid of the traditional way that we, um, you know, assign percentages, letter grades, number grades. And, you know, we're shifting the mindset of a gatekeeper to more of a coach. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that guide on the side approach. Um, you know, I, I, I refer to myself as a coach in the classroom. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so when we talk about gradeless and if we're being a hundred percent honest, nobody is truly gradeless. All right. Um, if, if a student can fail your class, that's a grade. Right. So if it's pass fail, if you're talking about, um, you know, if you're distinguishing between levels of credit, whether it's advanced credit or, you know, foundational credit, whatever it is, it's still a grade. There is criteria that you are judging if a student met that criteria or not. So when we talk about gradeless, we're talking about in the process of learning, the communication of how they're learning is given by descriptive feedback, okay. not a valuative feedback. And okay. so that that's really what we mean. Um, because you can eliminate a letter grade or a number grade and replace it with a check, or you can even replace it with a statement like good job. And that's still a valuative. Yeah, right. Because if the student doesn't get the check, well, then my work's not good. You know, if they don't get good job written on their paper, well, my work's not good. And they don't learn from that. So the descriptive feedback along the way, what you do is is you look at that work and you say, okay, um, so here's the explanation that you gave me on this question. And you did, uh, you know, when we look at this explanation, there's there's the definitions or there's the vocabulary from the unit and you're referencing that. All right. So in order to make this better the next time, instead of just referencing that vocabulary, explicitly define it. Uh 
you know, and so you're giving them one or two things that they can add the next time they do it. So they don't have to go back and redo content. The next time they have to do an explanation, they know, okay, here's the definition I'm using. And it'll be a completely different definition from the question that you asked them the first time. But now that they, they know that, all right, well, I have to explain it now. So I have to explicitly define it. And like each time you add a layer of sophistication. Huh. So, you know, th that's, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say it sounds um, like there are a lot more conversations taking place between the coach, because I like when you say that, because um, I was a former coach, so I, I totally get that. And I am a firm believer of the psychology being a huge aspect of a child's learning. Um, so it sounds like it's the coach and the student sitting down, having conversations about their learning and kind of like you said, the coach is um, through conversations, really being able to judge the learning. It's not so much here, I'm going to give you a um, 10 question multiple choice test, you answer the test and I deem whether or not you know the content. Yeah, so the way that we approach it, and here's where I kind of um, veer off from other grade list practitioners. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that consistency is key. I think if a student walks into your classroom, they walk into my classroom, they walk into any classroom, they should understand how to engage with learning. Yeah. Right. And it shouldn't be, okay. Um, you know, this is the way that, you know, he likes it. Right. Or this is the way that she likes it or w whatever it is. Um, and when you talk about most gradeless practitioners, you know, a statement that you're going to hear over and over is there's no right way to go gradeless. And I agree with that. You know, I, I don't disagree with that statement. There's a lot of people that are doing a lot of very good things, but if we want to make a systemic change, something that's scalable, something that could reshape, you know, education, right. it has to be systemic. Right. Right. So we have to go to something where I don't care if you're in Kentucky or you're in New Jersey you know, this is how I engage with learning, right? Um, so that's what we try to do is create this framework through learning progressions where, um, you know, we have these different ladders that students will climb. And as they get more proficient, they go up rungs of the ladder. And each conversation that we have, um, you know, we're saying, okay, here's the one or two things to get to that X rung. Right. And then when they're firmly there and they understand this is how, um, you know, I can achieve this level of proficiency, um, you know, then we coach them to the next level. Right. I really so, like that. Yeah. We're not judging. Right. So it's not about saying, okay, this is where you're supposed to be. Here's where you are. And, and here's that deficit that you need to make up. Yeah. Like all of my conversations start with, okay, great. Here's what you did everything's great. Right. Because it is, they're yeah. still learning, they're progressing. Right? right. So, you know, I don't care if they're at the beginning level. Okay, great. You answered the question, right? Good. You did work. Now, maybe that student where I'm saying, okay, great. You answered the question. That's somebody who left every question before that blank. You know, so it is great that they Absolutely. answered the question. Absolutely it is. You know, and so then for that student, it's like, okay, great. You answered it. Next time, just 
talk about some physics. Just try and throw in some words that you remember from this unit. Hmm. Just try hmm. and use them. So as, as I'm listening to this, I'm definitely um, seeing some, you know, I've said it before where I, I truly feel learned helplessness is an epidemic that has uh, gripped society and stuff. And, and I see this type of, so this way of looking at learning definitely is not the deficit model. I think that we currently have, it's more of the growth mindset. Um, learning is learning. If a child is learning, then that's our sole purpose. Um, yes. So Dennis Salvi, uh, who is actually a social worker, oh, cool. uh, he, he coined the term strengths perspective. Yeah. And so that has shaped a lot of that. So, um, you know, the growth mindset, yes, it, it is a growth mindset, but, um, you know, look at the work of Dennis Salvi okay. and, um, you know, strengths perspective. And that's really what shaped a lot of my view on that. So you said his book is strengths perceptive. No, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not, um, it's not a book. He's, he's written a lot of okay. papers. Okay. So, um, you know, strengths perspective. Okay. I'm going to look at um, it. Yeah. It, it's, it's great stuff. And it's really now it, it's, it's a little bit of, a reach to get to education because he's talking about um, people overcoming uh, dependency and addiction. All right. But like when you look at that, it's just learning in a different context. It's the psychology so, behind it. Exactly. That's so exactly if, you can take, it if you can take a step back and not say, well, this is an education, it is just in a different context. That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly right. No, I really, um, I really see some value in what you're talking about. Um, definitely. Um, you know, as we, I think <laughs> for 21 years now, we've been talking about 21st century skills and, um, our system, at least in my opinion, has never really gravitated towards what we need in order for our kids, um, to be successful in the 21st century job workforce. Um, I've said this before, uh, a wonderful guy, Ted Dentersmith, wrote uh, What Schools Could Be. Um, he wrote uh, whatever, I can't think of it right now. But um, definitely talks about that, you know, content is going away. And it's more of these skills. And it's more of what the kids can do with your content. It's less about what they can memorize. And it's more about what they can, what they can grasp what they can, what they can use, and then what they can do with it. And so what I love about your approach, I think it's way less about the kid being able to, for lack of a better word, puke content onto a piece of paper. Um, and it's more about showing the, the progression of what they can do with the education in your classroom. Absolutely. And, you know, so that's where people kind of get a little um, upset about sure. this is they think that we're minimizing content right. and we're not minimizing content. Right. But um, yeah, if you're looking at content in order for a student to demonstrate a high level of proficiency or skill um, with content, they have to be an expert. They have to, they have to have certain 
they have to understand the content, but they also have to be able to communicate it in a way that's right. that you understand that's what right. they're saying. So if we're looking at content in September, October, when these students haven't had the time to develop those skills, well, you know, then they're, they're behind the eight ball, yeah. right? So they won't be able to achieve it to those higher levels, right? So when we focus on solely content, right? And we, we don't assess skill. Yeah. You know, we're not really giving them a fair chance. Yeah. Right. And I, I just want to push back a little bit on something that you said before about the learned helplessness. Okay. All right. Because that's something I felt the same way okay. until I made this shift. Okay. Right. And um, I don't, I now don't view it as learned helplessness. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is students are overwhelmed cognitively overwhelmed to where they don't know where to start. Sure. Right. So that's part of it. And the, the other part is, well, why bother? I work my hardest and I still get a C or a D. Yeah. You know, so it's not so much that learned helplessness, you know, it's just, you're telling me I need these skills to perform, but you're not showing me how to get these skills. So so I'm never going to perform. So why should I bother? Yeah. 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 No, yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, and you know, to to be honest with you, it wasn't until I was a couple of years into this journey that I was just like, huh, I was very, very wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's something I definitely. Uh, one of my teachers, we were talking about, um, you know, in my role during this whole last year during COVID pandemic, I was in charge of monitoring our virtual learner kids that were doing ingenuity. So they were doing everything on the computer from home. And it was my job to um, reach out to the kids that weren't doing anything. And, you know, she really made a profound statement to me. She said, you know, she said, kids aren't. So how do I, how did she say this? She said, being procrastinate procrastinating is not a sign of laziness. It's a sign of stress. And it really got me thinking about, you know, just the way your brain works with the fight, flight, or freeze. And um, when kids are stressed out, especially in this last year, um, but it could also be in your classroom. They're just stressed out about the content or they're stressed out, like kind of like you said, they don't think they can achieve, you know, whatever you've set out in front of them. They get to a point where like, kind of like you said, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I'm just not going to be going. So I'm just not even going to start. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So my, yeah, my friend, go ahead. So I I had my first year, like I said, when we started this, it was messy. I, I went through, I started doing standards-based grading and I've since shifted to completely, well, not completely gradeless, but as gradeless as you can be. I have to give a grade at the mid-year and at the end of the year. And we shifted from proficiency scales, which um, that's what they focus on in standards-based grading to our learning progressions. And they are two very distinct things. Um, You know, and um, yeah, it it was, it wasn't good in the beginning, but I had a student that um, she did terrible the first half of the year. I I switched mid-year. So the first half of the year was traditional grading. Second half of the year uh, I had the standards-based model where 
Um, the only thing that was different is that they didn't see their grade all the time. They saw this generic um, score on a four point rubric and it was just, it, it was more broken down into what skills they could do. Um, she got a 44 the first semester. And she was the kid who was leaving class. Yep. Um, she'd asked to go to the bathroom and I'd have to hunt her down a half Never hour come later. Back. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And so second half of the year, when we switched to this, we did a lab and, you know, she engaged in the lab um, begrudgingly. And there was one skill that she did very, very well. And so at that point I was using a four point scale. She got a three out of four. And she's like, wait a second. I can actually do that. I was like, yeah, I was like, that's something you do really well. So why don't we, you know, take what you were thinking here and see if we can, you know, this is similar. So let's see if we can bump this one up a bit. And so that one authentic win where she said, wait, I did something right. well. And it right. was something very, very small. Second half of the year, she left the room less, you know, she engaged in the labs, every single lab. And she wound up getting a 77 the second half of the year. Sweet. And as, as flawed as that system was, like that student was the reason I continued. You right. know, because like you saw that potential. So I've got a question actually that it, it's funny you asked about the student because that's where I was going next. Like, so you've got these kids that have literally had, you know, kindergarten all the way up to, you know, freshman year with traditional base grading. And then you come, you come on and you're like, you know, here I am on this dude, we're going to go grade this. And what, are, what are their first thoughts when you, when you talk about this or better yet, what do what the parents and the administrators say when you start talking about all this? Well, if we're talking about 2015, the conversation is very different than if we're yep. talking about 2021, right. because in 2015, um, I really didn't know what I was doing. Sure. And, you know, I had a good relationship with students because I, I've always tried to, you know, make those connections and like I, I value students. That's why I stayed in teaching, sure. you know. Um, and so I, I said to him, I go, you just have to trust me. Right. You know, and they did because you had the relationship. Exactly. I said, it's not going to be perfect, but you're going to help me make it better. And Very so cool. every, st every step of the way, you know, I was asking for their input. I gave them surveys. Uh, we had conferences, they kept portfolios. They still do keep portfolios. We still do the conferencing. We do all those things, but along the way, um, everything they said, I was like, you know what, you're right. It does make more sense to do it this way. So the students actually helped me shape the model. That's and, cool. you know, they talk. So year after year, they're just like, oh, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. You know, just go in there, just try, just, you know, um, he'll help you out. Just And so after those first few years, you know, I, I got that goodwill to where the next group of students coming in and they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, we heard. Yeah, it's no big deal. You know, so it, it wasn't you have to take like the first month or so just to kind of decondition them sure. and say, this is how you're going to understand the feedback from me. Um, parents in the beginning were a different story. So <laughs> like they were they were split kind of 50 50. Yeah. And uh, at the time I was teaching, I did this only with juniors with a physics class. 
So how dare you in their junior year, their most important year, rip the rug out from under them. You're going to be the reason they don't get into college. So I, I had parents who had that mentality and, you know, I, I sat there, I listened to every single one of their concerns. We had parent information nights. They got to come in and they said whatever they wanted. I stood in front of them. I answered every single question and I did it before I switched. You know, and that was the key. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, hey, I, exactly. It's like, yep. it wasn't, hey, I did this. Now tell me what you don't like. It's just like, okay, we're doing this a month from now. This is what you can expect from me. Say your piece, you know. And so they were involved the whole time. There was a lot of communication. Um, and there were some parents that loved it. And they're just like, you know, thank you. This is like, you know, my student this is the way they learn. This is like, you know, um, this is great. And then there were others that said, you know what? My kid told me that they trust you. So if they trust you, I trust you, That's cool. you know, That's real and cool. you know, it, it was, so it was a mixed bag in the beginning. Um, but like now I don't have any negative parent interactions. So I have miscommunications, like they won't understand how to read the feedback or, or where to go to see the feedback. And so like a lot of it, um, you know, once we talk, they're just like, oh, okay, great. You know, not a problem. So now, because I'm better at communicating it, like I know what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. Like, you know, uh, the system is so much better. You know, it, it's a very, well-oiled very machine. Cool. Yeah. So man, this is a lot to digest. Um, it is, but it isn't like, I I really, I think this is something that needs to take place. Um, I think it's a really good step in the right direction to revamp a system that needs a little bit of tweaking. Um, I am, I, for one, am going to check out your book. Um, and all of those folks that are out there listening, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a second. Um, I'm going to let Dave kind of talk to you about how you can learn more about this subject, how you can reach out to him. Um, cause I just, I feel like in my bones after listening to this, like this is a, this is a, a shift or a tweak on something that could very much, um, how do I say it better prepare our kids for post-secondary world. Um, I definitely see the, you know, I see the five C's embedded in this. I see a lot of collaboration. Um, I, I see a lot of critical thinking, um, you know, I, I also see, you know, there's some creativity in this. So, um, Dave, talk to us real quick about your book, um, and then let us know kind of how folks can get a hold of you. Sure. So, um, the book, uh, going gradeless, it's published through Corwin press. Um, what happened, like I said, we've been doing surveys and I do them at the mid-year and the end of the year. And, we had six years worth of student surveys. Um, I have um, 398 students, or I'm sorry, 378 students in the book that actually made comments. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, so I, I, I sifted through all that, um, coded that data. Um, yeah, I did a great analysis on over a thousand students just to make sure, because we still do have to translate to a grade, just to make sure what we were doing wasn't negatively so impacting students. So it's vetted, it's vetted. It's yeah, every, yeah, everything we do, um, it, it's based on research. So, you know, a lot of the ideas are not necessarily um, new to education, yeah. like yeah. Our, our spin on how we're implementing them 
right? Um, and I mean, as you know, the the game of educational telephone, we get educational research very, very wrong, you know? And so we actually went back and read Bloom's Taxonomy. Oh, cool. And, you know, so it's it's not what I was taught it was. It's not a hierarchy at all. It's a progression, you know? And so like we started implementing those ideas. I read cognitive load theory, um, you know, uh, Dylan William with formative assessment. And like, you know, so we went to, um, you know, a lot of just sound educational research. So this isn't our opinion. These are things that, um, you know, for decades, you know, some of the greatest educational minds are saying, this is what you should be doing. And we said, okay. And we took the best from each and we put it all together. That's cool. And so we put it together in a way that we just saw a profound change in our students that, um, you know, we felt we had to share it. Yeah. And there's only, like you said, it's a lot to unpack. There's only so much you can do in a podcast. There's only so much you can do in a blog post. So in the book, we actually pull back the curtain on our classroom. We let you see, like, here are all the decisions that we made. Here's the educational research it's based on. Here's what we saw when we did that. And here's why we moved away from it. Right. And so we show you all that. We show you the development. We show you actual student work that um, questions that we've given in class. Um, we show how we score it. Um, and we even talk to teachers from other content areas to see if this is scalable. And so we created learning progressions for ELA, um, fine arts. My wife is, um, she's a fine arts teacher. So we actually developed, um, we developed these progressions for her class oh, cool. and it was really cool. And some of her student work is actually in the book. Um, and her and I like, well, I went, I know nothing about art. Um, you know, so we both assess that work and with this model in independently, we came up with the same assessment. That's Looking a big at, deal right there. It is that consistency because, right. you know, if, if, if feedback isn't consistent, if not all teachers view high quality work the same, who's the student going to trust? Well, and then the, the learning is an opinion. Exactly. You know, and, but the student has to make a choice. You know, if they're telling me one thing's high quality work and they're telling me something else is high quality work. So we tried to eliminate that. And we tried to systemize this in a way that it's flexible enough that you don't have to do the same thing as me, but students understand this is how I engage with learning. This is how I engage with feedback. Cool. And so that's what we tried to do in the book. And we, we give a step-by-step -step guide of, you know, how you can get there. Um, you know, and, uh, I mean, I'm always available, you know, reach out to me on Twitter. It's just at David Frangiosa. I, I'm, I'm a big nerd, so I'm always happy to have <laughs> these know. conversations. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. That's you know. awesome. Um, so, so I'll tell you, you know, we, we were talking a little bit prior to recording it and, you know, my forte is relationships. My forte is building culture. Um, I'm not huge on talking about assessments and, and all of that stuff, but our conversation tonight has been riveting because it's, it's more, I think the way you talk about assessment is more, a, more in line of what I think schools should be. I think it's more relationship-based. Definitely. Um, it's definitely, and I love your idea about progressions. 
um, because isn't learning just a big old progression anyway. Um, so, you know, I'm going to start winding us down because we've been talking and I feel like we've talked about quite a bit of stuff. Um, yeah. But for those folks that are out there listening today or tonight or whenever, check out David's book. Um, even if, you know, you know nothing about it, but it sounds interesting, check it out. If you got any questions, I know David won't mind. Shoot him a, shoot him a DM on uh, Twitter or, you know, reach out to him um on his website which your website is remind me reimaginedschools.com reimaginedschools.com and your blog is um from it, that it's all, yes yeah, so it, it's in there it's reimaginedschools.com as well um yeah i usually link those um so me and my co-author we each write one post a month okay. so my posts come out on the first of the month hers come out on the 15th um and you know, I'm I'm taking the summer off, and I'll be back at it in September. I don't blame. Um, you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I put those out on Twitter. Um, you know, all the time. And then I have uh, the podcast from Earning to Learning, and that I try and tackle. I try and keep them short because I understand we don't have a ton of time. Um, you know, everybody's kind of hustling mm -hmm. and doing their thing, so I try and keep them six to ten minutes. Oh wow! I have some, yeah. So I try and tackle one topic and, you know, it's just an idea. Um, a lot of it is ideas from the book. Um, and I try and tackle one topic and I try and do it in six to 10 minutes. And then I have some bonus episodes where I do have some guests come on and we talk about other issues in education. Very cool. I'm going to, I'm going to check out all of that stuff. Um, so Dave, uh, number one, uh, thank you very much for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, anytime that I can stretch my way of thinking or, um, you know, look, let's, you know, selfishly, this is my way of learning. Like this is the best form of PD for me that I know. Um, you are the 35th rock star that I've had on here and every single guest that I have, every single episode has, um, given me a, a new nugget for my brain. So I appreciate you. Um, and I want to say thank you for, um, number one, looking outside of the box. And I think it's, I think it, it's a testament to you that in 2015, you were crazy enough to try this <laughs> and you didn't quit. You believed in it. You kept learning it. And here we are six years later, you've written a book on it. Um, I would say you probably would be an expert on the subject, um so just man wonderful job of blowing up the box uh, thank you i appreciate it um and i would say um i'd say leaving chiropractor chiropractic <laughs> whatever was probably a good idea i would agree with that 100 <laughs> percent. awesome man so to my listeners out there um if you have enjoyed this episode please reach out to me or reach out to david and you know let us know what really resonated with you um if this is a topic you want to know more about check him out um like i said read his book um if you have the privilege of hearing him at an upcoming conference or whatever reach out to him let him know you heard him you heard him here on the big ed idea podcast and like I always do, I'm going to leave you with a quote on dreaming. A man is not old until regrets take the place of dreams. And so for that, to you, the listener, 
I'll see you in the funny paper. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.